Welcome to the Sober Podcast, part of the Soberverse, created by the team at the Sober Network. The Sober Network is engaged in revolutionizing the treatment industry by creating its own token economy. We offer fresh ideas to an industry that has relied on dated interventions. We are responsive to a new generation of substance users who are attached to their phones so we can impact massive social change. Our unmatched technology displays solutions of our various brands, demonstrating a thorough understanding of how we get things done. We are proving that technology, along with incentivized human accountability, provides measurable and positive outcomes. Visit us at SoberNetwork.com. Welcome to the Sober Podcast. This is your host, Jamie Brickhouse. And our sober liberty today is Lisa Avalara. Uh, she is the author of the book, Get Me to the Abbey, a memoir about her time in treatment for alcoholism at an Abbey Turn Residential Treatment Center. I love that title. Thank you for joining us on the Sober Podcast, Lisa. As a fellow author, I'm excited for you to share your experience on our show. Well, hi, Jamie. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. Right. And I think an appropriate um, topic for today's interview is how literature helped me get sober, because I know that's a big part of your story. Uh, even before uh, you became a writer, uh, you were a, an avid reader. And mm -hmm. um, we're going to get into that. But first, tell us a bit about your journey to sobriety. Okay, so... Uh, I grew up in Iowa, and uh, my first drink where I drank to get a buzz, I was 14 years old, and it was before a dance, the summer before my freshman year in high school, and um, I liked how it made me feel, I, and my purpose for drinking that was, was because of the dance, to be more comfortable with boys, to be more uninhibited. Right, right. And and less self-conscious. And um, so then I just, from that time on, I drank through high school, not every weekend or anything, mostly mm -hmm. because I was afraid of getting caught. So that was like, that was a big deterrent. Yeah. But then I went to college and like most college students, I, I drank. And I think in retrospect, I, and I always drank to get drunk. That was, it was, I 
didn't know any other way to right. drink. What's the point? Is was my feeling. right like, exactly. I don't know why you bother? <laughs> but I do believe that drinking and uh, have relationships with men were intertwined. I think mm-hmm. I was drinking to create a a better version of myself and to just make myself feel more comfortable and attractive to men. Yeah. And uh, so my drinking continued after college, probably not as much, but, you know, on almost every weekend uh-huh. I was, I was drinking and throughout my adult life, my activities were drinking were intertwined with my activities. Um, I like sports, so I would go to sports bars and watch football games, basketball games, yeah, and I'm tailgating, and just I just like going out to bars. And if I if I was at an activity that didn't have drinking, and a lot of my family activities, especially later in my adult life, my family they're not big drinkers, uh-huh. so. Earlier in my adult life, we would have family reunions and there would be more drinking. But as I got older, my siblings, I have four sisters, four older sisters, their drinking waned, but mine just stayed the same. And as far as my family, so it got to the point where they had expressed concern about my drinking. Right. So I handled that by just not talking to them about my drinking anymore sure exactly so i wouldn't i wouldn't really let them know oh, i'm going out tonight or mm-hmm. or i just kind of kept it on the down lie by omission that's what i would do yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly exactly so but, how, many, how many years did you drink I, you? I drank for about 40 years yeah yeah, yeah. me too suddenly i there was there were no happened. long gaps of sobriety at all What's that? No long gaps of sobriety. No long gaps of sobriety until I went to treatment the first time. Yeah. In 2014. And what brought you there? Uh, well, a relationship, a relationship fell apart and I moved back to my hometown with my mother. And I was with the, and part of the intention was to stop drinking, but yeah. I was going to do it on my own. Okay. And I stayed sober. I didn't drink for about a month. And then the relationship, I was still hoping for that relationship to work out. And the the text, the the communication was disappointing. Not what I wanted to hear. And then so I, I was, it was about July 4th that I, I just started drinking again. And I was going to go back to where he lived and confront him. Mm-hmm. And... My cousin, I don't know. See, I was. This was not a smart move on my part, but it, in a good way, I guess. So I, I talked, called my cousin on the phone, and you know, I was being really dramatic, saying I'm going to drive down to Iowa City, and and she took my car keys away from me, and also arranged for an intervention. So two of my sisters were at the intervention, and aunt. And so I ended up in treatment. I was trying to push for outpatient treatment, but you and know, is they that pushed you went to the Abbey, or is that later? No, this was uh, the first. I was the Abbey was the second time I was in treatment. Okay, so I was in treatment. It was at a county facility, and I stayed sober for a year and a half after that. But I was still living with my mom. 
So I think that was a big deterrent for me to remain sober. Yeah. But then I returned to I I returned to Iowa City. I got a job, returned to Iowa City, you know, living alone. The, again, the relationship situation wasn't um he wasn't responding the way I was hoping he was going to respond that we would get back together. Mm-hmm. And just one evening I I was trying to put together a table I got from Wayfair and I started to feel sorry for myself and I was just like you know, I'm going to go get some vodka and I'm I'm going to drink. And I was thinking that I could maintain manage my yeah, drinking. Right. That was my mindset that you know, I can I can I'm not going to drink every day. I'm just going to drink on weekends. <laughs> and throughout the course of that year, it just I just started drinking more and more until it got to be every day. Yeah. Yeah. And then in How December, did, okay. What? Pardon me. How long did that last? It was throughout the year of 2016. So I, I moved back to Iowa City in January and yeah. mid it was like mid-January that I started drinking again. So it was the whole year of 2016 that I drank. And then my mother died in December. And then after that, I don't it wasn't a conscious decision, but it was like I I became isolated and I just started drinking. It just it steamrolled, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I I was drinking every day, and it got to the point where I was calling into sick to work every day, and I got a new chunk of sick time at the at the beginning of the next January, and I just called in sick, and then eventually I just stopped calling in sick, and somewhere along the line I decided that I didn't want to live anymore, and so my plan was to drink myself to death. Yeah. And so my my sisters knew that something was up because I I was isolating. I wasn't returning their calls or or wasn't even I, returning texts at that point. And a friend in Iowa City checked in on me and I I think I disguised how bad it was. I thought pretty well. Yeah. But he took away my keys. And he checked, and at this point, I I had decided I'm going to drink myself to death. And I kind of felt like I had to. There, there was more urgency because people knew what right. how bad my that. drinking had become. <laughs> so I, I that last morning, I went and got two bottles of vodka, and I was just drinking just straight out of the bottle. Well, I had been for a while at that point. And just drinking with the intent of dying. And I they found me unconscious on my kitchen floor. And the they called the an ambulance. Yeah. And I ended up in the hospital for a week. Yeah. And then so I think this brings us to our next question, which is your book, Get Me to the Abbey, which is a memoir of your time in treatment. So obviously the second treatment. And yep. um Give us a little bit about how, um, what kind of effect uh, the treatment at the Abbey had on you. And, and also, um, I know uh, that after that, um, you um, kind of reunite with, with some of your Abbey um, fellow um, alcoholics and uh, are brought together by, by a um, tragedy, but I don't want to give away the whole book. Okay, <laughs> um, but tell us a little bit about that. 
so and at first I was resisting going to the Abbey. I wanted to go to treatment in Iowa City. I didn't want to go. Yeah, Abbey was an hour east of Iowa City in Bettendorf, Iowa. Yeah. But after I talked to someone on the phone from the Abbey, there was something in the voice of that person on the phone that inside I just I started to feel a glimmer of of hope again, of of possibility that I I, I can get better. And so from that point on, I just kept signs just kept popping up here and there. The when we drove up, my dad went to school at Notre Dame. And so the Golden Dome, you know, was a big landmark of the University of Notre Dame. Okay. And we drove up and we my sister and I, we looked over and there's this big golden dome. And we just looked up at it and looked at each other and we're like, and we said to each other, Oh, that's a sign. <laughs> and then just more things like that kept happening while I was at the Abbey and I started noticing them. And, and then the, the, my fellow Abbeyites, one, it was only like the second day I was there. We, something funny happened during music therapy. It, there was a double entendre mm-hmm. that was used with the, the handbells. And we all were just laughing hysterically. Yeah. And it just seemed like a turning point where we were all so much more comfortable with each other. And because of that fellowship, I think that is what was so integral, integral mm-hmm. to, to my, uh, my experience there being so successful. Oh, that's marvelous. And you know what? We're going to, this is a good uh, uh, time to stop and say thanks to our sponsor. Hi, I'm Sonia, the founder of Everbloom. We help you change your relationship with alcohol through connection and conversation. We provide small group meetings where you can share your story and get the encouragement and support you need to achieve your goals. Whatever your goals are, we're a judgment-free space. You can find us at joineverbloom.com, B-L-U-M-E, and try us out with a free meeting. Now, let's get back to Lisa Avalera. And um, so you gave us a little flavor of what, what happened at the Abbey and that had the, the fellowship really um, um, kept you or seemed to have, it was a big part of, of keeping you sober. And in your bio, um, you share that that you have you've always had a love of books um, your whole life, and um, and I was wondering. But then you, you and you're an avid reader. Um, the but the reading, you know, eventually went by the wayside when the when the drinking took During over. During the drinking years, not so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and had you, uh, were you, um, had you, did you have aspirations uh, to be a writer um, before you got sober and had you done any writing? And um... yes, I, I was a journalism major. So I worked in newspapers about six years, mm-hmm. but then, you know, life happened and um, I lost this job at a newspaper and I just couldn't get back into it. And I had kind of lost my, um, my passion for it because of the cutthroat nature of it. Yeah. That just wasn't me. The, the in your face asking 
uh, uncomfortable questions. That just wasn't me. I, the writing part was what I really enjoyed writing columns. And I enjoyed interviewing people too, mm-hmm. but the cut, the nature of the, of the journalism business just wasn't me. So I, it wasn't, wasn't that disappointing that I fell out of newspapers. Yeah. So I, I worked at a bookstore for about nine years. And then I started, I didn't want to stay in that in retail type work. So then I um, got into administrative type work, which is what I do now. But but during that time, I wrote a screenplay about the bike ride across Iowa. Mm-hmm. And so that was the big thing that I wrote. And I would write a short story here or or mostly a, more, mostly short stories here and there. So always I, I wanted I always wanted to write something that that would be um, not important, but. I did feel like I had something in me that I wanted. I wasn't sure if it was a book or a play or what it was because I love movies too. And, but when I was in the Abbey, uh, something just came over me that I want to write about this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember the movie, the lost weekend at the very end of that movie, he's also a writer. Right. And at the end of that movie, after he, you know, decides he has to get sober and there's a typewriter sitting in front of him and <laughs> he says to himself, well, what what am I going to do next? And then it dawns on him. I'm going to write about this. Yeah. And that happened to me at the Abbey. I decided I'm going to write about this. It's similar. I did. Yeah. I, I started writing. It took me. A, it wasn't. A, uh, I thought about it while I was in rehab, but it was about. Um, two years later that I um, did it in earnest, but I love the lost weekend. Uh, I've seen that movie many times and then have you, it's based on a novel. Um, oh, and, and the novel is amazing. It was, uh, is it? Yeah. It's from 1944, 45. And okay. I mean, really Romana Clay, the writer, it's really his story. Um, even though it is a novel and, uh, and it was, and it was a huge hit um, because it was like the first, book that really the first commercial book that dealt honestly with with what alcoholism looks like and but you as a as a youth you mentioned that you read um uh um go ask alice was a favorite of yours and um the one on teen pregnancy my darling my hamburger do you think these books had any effect on your um alcoholism and did they and in the in the did they help later on when you, um, as you tried to get sober, are, are there I, other books that, that you turn to, um, as you've gotten not really, because I didn't really read so much during the drinking years. Yeah. But I mean, but, pardon me, but afterwards, like, do you, are afterwards, you, I started reading voraciously again while I was at the Abbey because yeah. they had bookshelves there and it just started up. Uh, right away i think i read three books yeah that's what i was getting at do you Mm -hmm. have i I did that that i uh, was the same way you know like all my interests had gone away and and i also couldn't concentrate Mm -hmm. on a book uh really and did you um did you find that literature helped you um in any way getting sober it well writing the book helped me yes I, i started writing right when I got out 
And I think writing it, 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 it helped to reinforce everything that had happened to me at the Abbey. And it was almost like I was reliving it too. Um, but I really do believe that writing helped me. It, because getting out of the Abbey, I was afraid of trying to live without drinking. I just, at first it was hard for me to envision a, a life that wasn't bland or boring or, you know, I'm just existing every day. Right. I, right. I was afraid of that happening. But through writing and just through just through my inner peace and my mental health returning, I have discovered that I I get joy from simple things now, from from watching the birds. I have bird feeders out there and mm-hmm. and just being aware of the simple things around me. I I love scrounging. I love thrift shopping. Yeah. So scrounging is like one of my it's 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 one of my biggest hobbies but I don't really do that much I thought I would feel empty and because I don't go out you know I'm not the party girl anymore and I was afraid of just feeling empty but I've just filled my my filled myself with simple things that's great are you do you um you think you're gonna write another book I have started another book it's fiction and and it's mysteries are have always been one of my favorite genres mm-hmm. and it's it's not a mystery per se but it takes place at a bookstore setting and someone does get murdered <laughs> <laughs> right well listen uh we've got time for one last question which i ask most okay people. what is the best lesson you've learned in sobriety and how did it help you the best lesson I've learned is life can be beautiful without drinking. I'm surprised that I learned it, but it's true. I have to agree with you. I totally agree. And I um, I uh, am living it and, and certainly believe it. So, wow, that's a great way to end. Uh, to all our listeners, thank you for your continued support. Visit us on soberpodcast.com www.soberpodcast.com and all places that you find major podcasts leave us a review sign up for our mailing list you will also find the contact information and the show notes uh for today's sober liberty lisa avalara uh and be sure to check out her book get me to the abbey uh, which you can find on amazon And I'm your host, Jamie Brickhouse. You can find me on TikTok, where I tell a true story in high heels every day, Jamie underscore Brickhouse. And I'm signing out for the Sober Podcast. Tune in for another show next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sober Podcast. We hope that you have found this episode helpful and look forward to you joining us next time. As we continue to grow and implement positive change, we hope that you'll share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. They can find us on all the major podcast directories. If you have an idea for the show, want to leave positive feedback, ideas, or comments, connect with us on thesoberpodcast.com. You can also reach us on our social media platform on The Soberverse. 
We'd love to hear from you. A special thanks to all those who make this show happen. Jamie Brickhouse, our host, Carrie, our producer, Carl Fessenden, our voice, and our sponsor, The Sober Network. Sober Network.